Welcome to the Sex Magic Podcast, where we explore the connections between sexuality and spirituality, the various cultures and traditions of sex magic, and conversations about everything in between, led by a coven of curious modern witches. If you'd like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is Sex Magic Podcast, our website is sexmagicpodcast.com, and if you want to send us an email, sexmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Sex Magic Podcast. Today, I am joined with Amanda Yates Garcia, and I am so excited for this conversation. Amanda is a dynamic witch known as the Oracle of Los Angeles, and like that title, is a prominent figure in the witchcraft community in Los Angeles and beyond. She has her own incredible podcast that I highly suggest you check out, which is Between the Worlds, centered on tarot and magic. Amanda is the author of Initiated, Memoir of a Witch, and it's such an honor to have you on our show. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> I am so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, <laughs> I'm thrilled. Yeah, this is our last season, and I am reaching out to all of the people that I've wanted to have conversations with, and you are at the top of that list. So thank you so much. Oh, so this is your last season? After yeah, this is, yeah. This we're kind it. of doing it like a TV show where there's six seasons. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Podcasts are a lot of work. So they I, are. <laughs> I don't blame you for wanting to have like a beginning and an end date to, mm-hmm. so that you make sure that it, you stay um, like with the freshest, most delicious content. Absolutely. Time. Yeah. And I think that the energy will just evolve into a new form. And I'm really excited to just kind of trust the death rebirth cycle and see what happens once we all decide to conclude this uh, this chapter. I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about your spiritual journey and um, your spiritual roots and how that journey has developed and where you are now. Yeah, well, so I come from a lineage of witchcraft called Reclaiming. My mother was a witch in that practice. Um Although the pra- the reclaiming itself started in, in Northern California and in, in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And it uh, was started by uh, a woman named Starhawk and many other witches who were participating in the, the reclaiming collective, um, with Starhawk being perhaps the most well-known. Um, but that tradition comes through uh, a tradition called fairy magic, which was started by um, Victor and Cora Anderson. And they have their roots in the uh, witchcraft practices of mid-century Europe, as well as Irish and Scottish folk magic and Appalachian folk magic. Um, and so then all those traditions kind of just go back and filter in and connect to one another Um and then another branch of my lineage comes through um, the pagan collective of Unitarian Universalists because my mom um, taught classes for for the pagan UU um, group, which is called Cups. And um, I think it's called like 
like collective of Unitarian Universalist pagan scholars or something. I don't remember <laughs> what it was called. They really um, wanted it to be called Cups, though. You yeah, know. they wanted it to be called Cups. <laughs> um, and so that was about Earth-centered spirituality and specifically like um, goddess worship and goddess culture. A lot of uh, witchcraft that my lineage comes from is sort of second wave feminist lineages that are now being modified and changed and uh, strengthened and expanded mm. to be more um, gender inclusive and decolonial and um, yeah, to right historical wrongs, which is um, some of the work that the the witches of my generation are doing and the witches of future generations will be doing. And uh, so, yeah, so I started with that, but then I I, I rejected the religion of my youth, as many people do. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then, so when I was like a late teenager, I was kind of like, oh, that's my mom's thing and I'm not into it. And so then I went into the arts thinking that that was going to be the thing that saved me from this, um, you know, the world of, you know, white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, which I rejected and didn't want to be a part of. And I thought, you know, that the arts would be an escape from that. Mm. And it turned out that they're not. <laughs> it turned out that they mm. were just as like white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalist as any other place. Although they do hold a torch for the imagination, for the connection to, mm. um, to spirit in many ways. So then when I got out of grad school, I went to CalArts. And when I got out of grad school, I realized that a lot of my work was very angry and that it was about um, you know, rejection of the status quo. Mm. And I decided that what I really wanted to do was be for something. You know, I wanted to, mm. I wanted to come, I wanted to come out fighting for something. I wanted to have something that I was saying yes to and not just something that I was struggling against. And so I decided that I had to make the world that I wanted to see, which mm. brought me straight back into the lap of my witchcraft traditions because that's mm. exactly what witchcraft is about and so then I um and then I I just started making more and more public works more and more public rituals I had a a precursor to a podcast I had a, a public radio show at Kate Chung um talking about witchcraft and magic and things like that uh in, starting in 2013 I think um so I've been doing this work public witchcraft since about 2010 and it's just evolved over the years and become stronger and stronger. Um, and a lot, my book initiated is a lot about that. Um, mostly it's about the point right before I turned to witchcraft, before I knew that I was a powerful witch and was really feeling more um, disempowered by the world and how I came to find my power in my voice. Wow. Uh, and then, you know, the rest is, the rest is gravy, I guess. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. Uh, very Hecatean in that, like that crossroads, uh, the moment before that your story really began there. It's beautiful. Um, I actually started listening to your book on Audible recently, and I'm excited to dive deep. Actually, I was talking to uh, Francesca Leah Block, who is going to be on this season. So uh, she mentioned your book and she's like, you haven't read that yet? And I was like, oh my God, oh my gosh, <laughs> I've got to get on it. <laughs> First of all, she's just such an amazing person as far as like being a mentor and she represents for so many people and really um, has supported so many young artists out there. 
but also her writing is just so spectacular. She is a powerful witch. She's able to take anything she experiences and transmute it into something beautiful and um, worth paying attention to, worth listening to. And she's just, yeah, amazing. So inspiring. So inspiring. So we're going to be talking a lot about tarot on this episode, which I'm really excited about because it's something I do not focus on in my own witchcraft practice. And so I'm really excited to be a little bit more of a student in how tarot can really guide us in the realm of sexuality and love. uh, Because I feel as though people often do turn to the cards in uh, seeking guidance for love. I feel like that might be one of the most common questions a tarot reader receives is, what is in the future for me in love? Does this person love me? And so I think it's going to be a really exciting episode to dive deep into the cards. And I love that you come from a background as of an artist because tarot really is this beautiful tool that connects us to symbolism. And I find that magic really is the language of symbolism. We, we use the, the cup on the altar um, as an offering to the goddess because of what it physically represents. And there are just so many ways that symbolism guides us intuitively. And I think that tarot is uh, this beautiful tool, of course. So I've I'm curious uh, if you could share kind of how tarot has, uh, when tarot really came into your life and, and how tarot has supported you with, with love and magic. Well, tarot came into my life probably when I was like 10 or 11. My mom gave me my first deck of tarot cards and started to teach me how to use them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of always been there. Um, and I think really probably for the first 20 years that I was using it, um, I, I used it probably in the way that most people do, which is to be like, you know, will that person call me back? (laughs) You know, when will I find love? Um, how can I call more love into my life? Uh, and I feel like, you know, your cards often get a lot of attention and devotion when you're in that uh, space of like Twitter patient and super crushed out and you just like <laughs> ask them every day, like, will they call me? What will happen between us? Why aren't they calling? You know, all of those things. Um, but I feel like that's, that's tarot kind of at its most um, basic and of course, it can be a really great friend and supporter during those times. Um, however, I think that it it's it's like um, it's like having a really delicious ingredient. Like imagine having like really beautiful truffles that were like searched out by a special magical truffle pig, like in the forests of Italy, like. Um, and then throwing them on like a pizza with like that's like stovetop stuffing, you know, like it's like a really basic pizza or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> so you're kind of using this this thing that is uh, that is extraordinarily powerful and and so much more delicious and beautiful than we really give it credit for to do kind of something that um, it can do, but is uh, is not necessarily the 
the best way to like really bring out its flavor, to really experience it. And what I mean by that is tarot is really a key. They're called keys, like in the Western mystery traditions, tarot cards are called keys because Mm. they open doors to the deep self. They open doors to ancestral knowledge and um, to our magic and our power. And one way that we we don't really access our power is when we um, when when we look to something else to solve our problem or to tell us what we're what we're what is going to happen or what we should do or you know most of the time and I, I'm I do this I still do this when I'm super crushed out on people as you know as the tarot like uh, you know what will happen between us and things like that but. It's really at its best when it's guiding us to deeper intimacy with our world, with ourselves, questions that allow us to make a more powerful connection to who we truly are, to dive into our shadow, to see things that maybe we we haven't wanted to see or um, that we've been hiding from ourselves, or even, even when those things relate to our own power. It's often counseling us to to find our own power, to set healthy boundaries, to uh, to reclaim our power when we're giving it away, um, to, to recognize um, that challenges, um, even heartbreak, is a part of life. And, mm-hmm. um, and it comforts us and offers us wisdom and poetry and truth and beauty. Um, and so it's not, it's, it's kind of the the minimum when we're asking it to say like, will I get together with this person or not? And also when we're in that really super heightened state, it's very easy to just look for the answers that we want to hear. Mm-hmm. You know? mm. Wow. Yeah. That is so powerful. I love that they are keys. Yeah. They're really, they're keys, you know, which again links it to Hecate because, you know, of course the symbol mm-hmm. of Hecate is the key, you know, because she is the guardian of the threshold, the place that uh, is in between, right? Where we're going, where we're entering new realms, where we're having to make choices. When we stand at the crossroads, we're having to make choices. And I always say with Hecate that she offers us you know, it's Hecate Trivia, Hecate of the three roads, right? Mm-hmm. So it's we see her where three roads come together. And often she's offering us the option of either doubling down on our behavior, right? Like kind of taking the road that um, we know that is secure for us, mm-hmm. that seems the most obvious to us. Um, and... That might mean, like, for instance, if we are really in love with someone and they're not um, giving us what we want, then it might, and, and we're, and we're, just, when we've decided, oh, well, then I'm really going to seduce them or I'm really going to keep pushing or I'm really going to, um, you know, send that one last text message or last morning <laughs> text messages or whatever, because I really need to have their confirmation that, that, that I am valuable. Um, so we might double down on our behavior or, you know, we might run away. We might might run the opposite direction and we might shut down and we might say, oh, well, this person isn't giving me what I want. If they were, we probably wouldn't be asking the tarot about it. We'd be like with them at that moment. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to close the door. I'm going to run away. I'm going to shut down. I'm going to say, oh, I'm never going to do this again because I always get hurt, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's also an option to, to kind of take the easier route, which often involves shutting down. But Hikate, you know, as a guardian of the night, as, a, as the guardian of the underworld, as, you know, she has the black dogs of the underworld by her side, you know, so she encourages us to navigate the animal path, mm-hmm. which is the one that comes off that's like just the vaguest hint of a path. It's also, it's a, it's a path we have to forge ourselves. It's a path that we have to create. It, it's made of nuance. It's made of uncertainty. It's, it's made of questions. Um, and so we have to kind of find our way through this animal path. And that is usually the one that is going to lead to the greatest truth, the greatest power, the greatest love, and the greatest intimacy. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of the scariest because it's the most uncertain yeah. And I think that, that the power of the tarot is when we really choose that animal path, mm. when we really choose to go into the wildness of, of our own nature and the wildness of the uncertainties of fate. And that's when it can really come to us like a guide, like a guardian, like a, the keeper of the torch. Again, that's what Hikate does. It's just one of her symbols is um, the torch. So she kind of lights our way as we're wandering through this darkness of uncertainty and not knowing. Um, but that's really how we become powerful. That's how we become witches. Because a witch is someone who is able to stay grounded, who is able to stay connected to the earth, to connected to her power, connected to her value or their value or his value. Um, as they are, as they are confronting uncertainty and uh, sometimes pain, sometimes beauty when they're confronting Mm -hmm. the sublime, when they're submerged into the sublime, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, the awe of being alive and present for this magnificent, mysterious Mm -hmm. life. So, So that's where I feel like, you know, tarot really excels is when we, when we ask it and offer it to come be with us as we go on that journey. Ooh, that's so powerful. I feel that. And yeah, I think that tarot really is a way, a key into our subconscious as well in, in that when we make that choice to pick this card or that card, it's our subconscious coming through and and guiding us. And I love what you said about the animal path and you know, diving with bravery into the unknown and exploring the the realm of mystery and not taking the easier path or the path we already know. Um, and that's so beautiful. I feel as though for me personally, I have used tarot since I became a witch, which I guess I always was, but, you know, very young age, of course, but I've always had such a, a reverence uh, for tarot and almost like I'm not quite ready to know how to fully have this relationship with you. And so I'm curious, I'm sure there are many that are listening that don't have a relationship with tarot yet. What is a way to start developing an intimacy with the cards? Well, most of the time when People ask that question, the answer that they get from any tarot reader who has a lot of experience is to 
to pull a card every day and to not look at the little white book or not look at their book, but just to look at the card, look at the picture, notice what they feel, notice what comes up for them. And then uh, pay attention to their day. Uh, and then at the end of the day, write, you know, what they experience or something that stands out for them. And then look in the little white book mm-hmm. and see how it relates to the card that they pulled. That's a really good way to build up your own relationship to the cards. I think it's also really great to use them in a ritual way. You know, if you're not ready to to use them for divination, it, it takes a really long time to learn how to divine with tarot. As I said, you know, I've been doing it for 20 years before I actually really got to the next level, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just probably because it's also really fascinating and fun at the kind of, you know, baby level. <laughs> so you can just kind of hang out in that, like, mm-hmm. in that room for a really long time because it's so fun there. But, um... But so I think, um, you know, using the tarot uh, on our altars Mm. and in our magical practice is a really wonderful way to start to get to know the cards. So, for instance, um, often when I do my own rituals, I hold monthly moon rituals, and I also have, like, an endless stream of workshops (laughs) to take. (laughs) But I do have um, monthly moon rituals. And, you know, every... Uh, one of the major arcana will correspond with whatever stage of the moon we're in and whatever, um, you know, sign the moon is in at the time. Mm. And so often I'll have people pull cards for the sign that the moon is in and the sign that the sun is in at the time. Um, And so that's a good way to start to get to know what the cards mean for you. So, for instance, um, this last moon that we had was the new, the full moon in Pisces, and of course, the sun is in Virgo. So, Virgo corresponds to uh, the Hermit card, and then Pisces corresponds to the Moon card. So, we can look to the times when the moon is full in Pisces to notice what is going on in our lives. And then we'll be able to see at least one little facet of what the card is getting at or what, um, how to interpret the card. You know, the, the cards are bottomless. So in addition to being keys, they're also wells. They're bottomless wells. They're infinite wells into the collective unconscious. So we're not going to, be able to know everything there is to know. But looking at the sort of native essence of the card and then looking at what is the kairos in our own life, the kairos being the weather of our life, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but kairos, in addition to meaning weather, it's a Greek word that means weather, but it also has a tenor of meaning something more like um, the atmosphere, the mm-hmm. emotional atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere, um, the things that are going on within the world around you. So, for instance, you know, the moon card is very much about um, ancestral monsters. Mm. Often they can be very beautiful, but they're things that come up from the deep. They're things that have been sort of hidden or that, that dwell in the bottom, mm. in, the, in the very depths of our um, of our unconscious in that ocean. 
And on nights of the full moon, they come creeping up. You know, they come onto the beaches. And we have the opportunity to be with them, to look at them, to learn how to master the fear of seeing things that we don't want to see about ourselves or about the world. The moon is also a card that tells us, you know, that we are powerful or we have the opportunity to be powerful. In traditional decks, often there are two towers on either side of of this path that's leading up from the ocean and into the dark mountains. And these towers, you know, the tower in tarot represents the structures that we've built to keep us safe, but that have become our prison. And we can choose to go back into them, to the places where we're safe, to the the things that we know, um, which often... Um, imprison us in a lot of ways. So, for instance, um, people who um, are in a relationship they know that they don't want to be in, but they're afraid of what will happen if they leave. You know, they're afraid that they'll never fall in love again, for instance, or something Mm -hmm. like that. They might choose to stay in that tower um, because they're afraid of the unknown, which, you know, we've all been there. So, you know, no shade, but it's like, you know, that might just be the reality. Or, for instance, um, you know, I've had many clients who uh, have corporate jobs that they don't like, um, but they chose because of the money. I mean, we live in a capitalist culture, and it's very scary to not have a lot of money or to to give up uh, your your known source of income. Mm-hmm. And yet... They're coming to me because they have such a strong sense that that's not where they should be, where they, it's not where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And there's like a freedom that's calling to them. And so the moon card is like, oof, we step out. We step out of those towers. We leave the towers and we wander into the dark woods mm-hmm. where there are glowing eyes blinking at us. And we hear crackling over there in the dark and we are being called to become creatures of that place, to become werewolves, to become witches, to be become creatures that can walk through the dark woods and say, like, this is my place here in the unknown. I have the kind of power where I can be in this place of uncertainty and still be powerful. Um, and, you know, it connects us, the moon card connects us with our rhythms, with our cycles, um, with both the cycles of our blood the cycles of our emotional lives, um, the repeated patterns and habits that that we have. You know, it, it it's like I said, it's really bottomless. But what we do is when when there's an occasion, such as a full moon, to pull out a card, we can look around to what's going on in our life. We can, mm-hmm. if it's helpful, to look at look up the meaning in uh, the little white book, quote unquote. <laughs> And then look in your life and see, like, where is this in my life? So if the tower card comes up, you know, where is the tower in your life right now? It doesn't need to necessarily be um, this major crisis. Mm. It can be just a moment of rupture, for instance. So where is the moon card in my life right now? Where is Where am I being confronted with the unknown? Where are there monsters that I have mm. been afraid of but that now I'm I'm willing to embrace? Mm. you know that often it speaks to ghosts as well the moon card speaks to ghosts the supernatural the unconscious and um 
I, I'm reading this book right now. It's a book of poetry called, uh, I think it's called A Guidebook to the Haunted Forest or something Ooh. like that. Um, it's, I, it's like this Instagram poet, and I'm really into it. Mm-hmm. Um, his name I'm forgetting right now. But something that he said in there that really struck me was that humans are like bits of matter that are particularly haunted, meaning that our spirit, our soul is like haunting our bones, essentially. Ooh, and I like that. <laughs> isn't, isn't that so beautiful? Yeah. So this yeah. idea of the haunted, like uh, of of being present with spirit or whatever kind of like dwells or comes back or um, needs to be released is exciting to me. So there's yeah. m- many ways to, to look at it. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I feel like uh, a wonderful tool to develop is being conscious of thematics the thematics in our life that we can see in in tarot, in our magic practice, and uh, working with them and leaning into them and seeing kind of like where they're leading us because I I feel as though they may be leading us to some revelation or um, inspiration perhaps to to take action. So absolutely, I mean, yeah. So so we get to bring everything that we have to our tarot readings. So for instance, like if, if the hermit card comes up, you already have a relationship to what a hermit is. You already know what a hermit mm-hmm. is. You've heard the word before. Um, you can think of movies. You can think of poetry. You can think of books. You can think of times in your own life when maybe you had been a hermit. Like you get to bring all your own experiences. And that's what, that's what turns us into oracles is when we're able to access all of our own story and all of our own knowledge and the studying that we've done and the life experiences that we've had and bring that, bring all of that, which essentially haunts us is there with us in our Mm. spirit all the time into this oracular divinatory moment and, and then use it to help other people when we're giving readings. Mm, Yeah. That's beautiful. I definitely want to check out that book of poetry you mentioned. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll grab it before we get off. In the realm of love, if we are working with the tarot in our sex magic practice, our love magic practice, or even just as witches that have questions about love, um, are there specific cards or ways that we can work with tarot to gain insight for those parts of our lives, those thematics? Yeah. So um, uh, most of the time when we think of like love, partnership, sexuality, well, specifically love and relationships um, come up a lot in the cups, in the suit of cups. So for instance, the ace of cups is like the the fountain at the center of Aphrodite's garden, you know, it is the it is the cup of the goddess Venus, is the cup mm-hmm. of the goddess of love, and it it restores, it reju- it renews, it rejuvenates, and that water travels through, water connects, so um, so it travels through the suit of cups, and so the ace of cups is like the beginning of a new a new relationship or a new intimacy or something that rejuvenates or restores us or connects us to that Venusian uh, erotic place. And then, of course, the suit of wands is really about sexuality and desire and um, passion. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they, they work together. But, I mean, uh, cups and wands. Cups and wands, <laughs> exactly. So, um, like, the page of cups is going to be, um, like, when we're, when we're finding a new place in our erotic world, right? Like, we're stepping into uh, a new way of um, being intimate or finding eroticism, and we're exploring that, and 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 we're opening up parts of ourselves maybe that we didn't know mm-hmm. we could access. The Queen of Wands, um, I love because she is, you know, able to be um, full of desire and full of passion, and simultaneously. Um, kind of be comfortable in that place. One of the things that's most challenging about uh, love and sex is how vulnerable it makes us feel, right? Mm, true, um, very true. The more strongly we feel about someone, the scarier it can be or the more triggered we can become around our our vulnerabilities. And so the Queen of Wands is someone who is able to ride her fears and... Mm. Uh, channel them into uh, into power and desire. So, you know, I think she's kind of the queen of kink for sure. Um, <laughs> okay, so she's going to go on my altar. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Or the strength card in, um, you know, in the Thoth deck, for instance, in mm-hmm. Alice, Alistair Crowley's and Lady Frida Harris's deck, uh, you have the, the Lady of the Beasts who appears mm-hmm. in the strength card riding ecstatically, a big great beast or a great lion. So mm. there's a lot of hotness and eroticism in that card as well. Um, and then of course the two of cups like is the one that you really want to see. Like if you're if you're if we're doing the thing where we're like, you know, will my love call me? What will happen between us? And you get the two of cups, um, that's a good sign. Yeah. Sure. It's like this is like the partnership card. And of course the lover's card, but I mean the lover's card is is really about a lot more than just like sex and eroticism. It's about choices and individuation and, mm. you know, it's a whole nother kettle of fish. And the lover's card corresponds with Gemini. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. The lover's card does correspond with Gemini. Often, um, you know, in traditional tarot, well, in the original version of the tarot, like the early, early tarot decks in the 15th century, um, it wasn't called the lovers. It was called the lover. And it was, uh, a, in, in that case, it was a depiction of a man and he was choosing between two women. One of them was like a buxom blonde and one was kind of a more dour looking mm-hmm. older woman. And the idea, it, people disagree on, you know, who these women were. If it was like his lover or his wife um, and his mother, for instance, like if he was having to choose between um, mm-hmm. like, tradition propriety like his upbringing and like his new life or the you know his his family or something or his new family or if it was like his mistress and his wife um, but then above them is uh you know in the in the right away Coleman Smith version of the deck is uh this lion-headed god Mithras so he's the god of contracts and also of soldiers mm-hmm. um but so the lover's card is is a very complex card, and it really has to do with um, having to choose when we have an abundance of ins- information, and it's really a choice between 
like the worldly and the obvious mm. or like a deeper spiritual communion. And that that spiritual communion really happens if we look at it from a Jungian perspective through like individuation, which means for me, the lover's card is very much about being able to be authentically and truly yourself, being able to really stay with yourself and know what you want and who you are and what you care about while also being able to be in relation to other people. Mm, ooh, I love that message. That's really powerful. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, as a Gemini, I can kind of um, interpret that in my own way as, as maybe like when I show up in relationships or partnerships that malleability, that adaptability, it's very easy to kind of lose that sense of self because you are so connected to the element of air and things are just kind of floaty. And especially when you're with a lover, it's kind of like you, you breathe the air that they breathe out, you know? So that's, uh, that's an interesting card. I'm definitely going to reflect upon that one. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the the quote that I always think about when that card comes up is actually a quote by Rilke, Rainer Maria Rilke, mm. the poet who is often wed, read at weddings, right? Like we've all heard this Rilke quote from uh, Letters to a Young Poet or On mm. Love and Other Di- Difficulties, where he talks about um, how when people fall in love, especially young lovers, they tend to cling to one another and sort of wrap themselves around one another and just sort of blend in with one another. And then he says that the ground falls out from beneath them and they're just in a state of perpetual falling. But to truly be in love, to truly be able to be a lover in its most exalted form is to become world unto ourselves and to guard the solitude of the other. And what he meant by that was the bigger that we can make our world, the more that we can fill our world with rivers and cities and mountains and forests and lakes and, um, you know, all the magnificent beasts that can full, fill out a planet, the more we have to offer another person. And that, therefore, to be in love is to stand guard to guard, is to stand guard over the solitude of the other person so that they can become this world and that there there can be a bridge between your two worlds but instead of merging that you can still maintain your sense of of self your sense of groundedness of of knowing who you are and having your own relationship to the divine and and that is um what what true love is mm-hmm. so when we're saying like that we that you know to love is to really be able to see the other person for who they are and for the mystery that they are, that you will never completely know everything about them or what's going on with them. And to to honor and celebrate that rather than projecting all of our stuff onto other people or, um, or not being willing to see the truth of who someone else is because it's too scary. So the lover's card is like, a, you know, it's a big, big card. It just is, you know, so complex and beautiful. I also think it's like the queerest card in the deck because it's really about liminality. It's about the places mm. where ecosystems bleed together. And, um, you know, like that, like you were saying, you know, being a Gemini, you know, the air signs are so beautiful because air 
is a force that disperses, that connects, that moves about. It's, mm -hmm. it's you know, it's very active. It's full of, of motion and it clears things and it, and it's like awake and alive. I mean, anybody who's ever stood out in the wind knows that, knows that yeah. feeling. But it doesn't have that anchor, right? It's, it's, it's completely unanchored. Even fire like connects to something, right? Mm -hmm. It like connects to the match, but the air is just like everywhere moving Formless, around. Formless, boundless. Formless. So, um, so that says a lot about, you know, the lover's card is Gemini, right? The lover's card is like, it is so easy to just be scattered and to just be formless um, and connecting it or earthing it or finding a way to stay grounded and connected while you are in love is, is the thing that actually leads you to true intimacy. And true intimacy is the same as uh, spirituality. I mean, true mm -hmm. intimacy is, is the goddess. Yeah. Oof. Could you expand on that a little bit? Because I, I feel that. Yeah, so so essentially, you know, what we're what our aim is, at least my understanding of witchcraft is to be a lover with the world. Mm. Um is to really take the goddess as your lover. Mm. Um which means that we treat her in the same way that we have just been talking about um, with our partners, right? That we we are able to see her and encounter her, you know, magnificence. And when I say goddess, what I mean is the life force. Mm -hmm. the, the I mean all of it. I mean all of the universe and the life force that is flowing through the universe and the intelligence of the universe and the creativity of it and its essence as a loving, connective, vital, vibrant, scary, fantastic, um, violent, and uh, soothing force. I mean, it is all of that. And um, as, as witches, you know, we're not um, submitting to that force. What we're doing is um, we're encountering it. Like, she... She loves us. That's why we're here. But, but she's not just mother, right? She's lover. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, we're not just here to get from her. Like, we emerge from her in order to love her. Like, she created us to be her lover. Mm -hmm. And um, to be a lover, like, it's not really fun. I mean, it may be fun for some people. It's not fun for me to be in a love relationship where um, I just call the shots, tell people what to do, you know, that that person's completely dependent on you and um, that, like, you can't really offer anything back, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, that humans have the capacity to to, you know, write her odes, to write her poetry, to show up for her, to, um, to, you know, be in an erotic state with her, to recognize her beauty, to recognize her challenges. You know, clearly right now she's really going through a major, like, a major time of upheaval and uncertainty in her life. Mm -hmm. And, like, we can show up for that and, like, really, yes. like, be there for that with her through thick and thin. And, um, you know, one of the ways that I've arrived at this conclusion 
I don't think of it as a conclusion, actually. It's more of like a beginning, <laughs> a, a gate, a porthole. Is um, when I first started doing magical rites that were kind of of a more mature level, mm. um, as soon as I entered the spirit world, in other words, as soon as I entered, sorry, that's my cat. I don't know what you want, babe. Hi, cat. <laughs> we love to feature cats on the podcast as well, so they're totally welcome to chime in. <laughs> oh, good. good. Yeah, so as soon as I would enter that trance state or the spirit world, I would be just flooded with erotic energy. Like, mm. just like, uh, like, diz- like a dizzying, um, ecstatic level of desire. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned through my own practice that essentially like that force, that feeling, that's it. That's her. That's the goddess. That's the force that drives all life. Yes. Like you're stepping into that current. Mm-hmm. And um, so, of course, when we're, you know, engaging in sexuality, ideally, you know, we will be stepping into that current when we are like either exploring sexuality on our own or when we're with someone else unfortunately you know a lot of the time when we're having sex that's not what it feels like (laughs) but a lot but it can be you know it's there for us yeah it's there for us to develop so it depends Mm -hmm. but um it depends on you know who you're with what your what your relationship is like with them where you're at with yourself like what's going on for you but in in its ideal sense you know sexuality desire has the capacity to open up the gate to step into that flood and that flow to that fountain that is at the center of the garden and to renew us and to restore us and to be in that space with her so Mm. yeah I feel like that I just kind of danced all around the edges there but oh no I thank you so much for that beautiful journey and I I really do love connecting to the earth as beloved or goddess as beloved. And I mean, I I look to the earth a lot for um, my connection to spirituality. And it's so beautiful to see how erotic and how alive this earth really is. And that invitation for us to be as unique and strange in our erotic expression. And that that is the life force energy. That is the current that is weaving through all of us. and, And perhaps we're not um, allowing ourselves to tap into for um, one reason or another. But I think that, you know, it takes conscious awareness and practice and um, bravery also to be that intimate with yourself and with the goddess or spirit or whatever you would like to call call that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I also, I want to say that, you know, I use the term goddess because that's what, resonates for me that's that's what feels good to me um and that's a way for me to understand it but of course the goddess goes so much further and beyond gender right because she's all of creation so she's all gender she's all expressions of um you know procreation eroticism sexuality in all animals and you know mushrooms in trees in the air in ourselves in all versions of ourselves. Um, so, you know, for me, it just feels most erotically powerful to connect mm-hmm. with her as a goddess, but 
she could also, we could call it spirit, you know, we could call it God if we want to, we could call it God X, whatever it is. Um, You know, there's many different ways of, of coming into contact with it. But, but I do think also that, you know, the erotic charge of the goddess is so powerful and so clear. And when you come into contact with it, you see how powerful it is. That is why, you know, as um, we as a civilization have progressed into capitalist, colonialist patriarchy, why it's been so suppressed and so controlled mm. because, um, because of that power, because of that vitality. Yeah. Like, it's much harder to control people mm. who, who have access to that and to, who have their own relationship to that. Who, yeah. who, you know, if the goddess is your lover, like, you don't really, you know, you try the rest and I'll try the best. <laughs> like, you're not gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna go with um, these other forces that are, are really against life and against, you know, her and that power. Um, however, you know, the goddess can't be destroyed. She, mm-hmm. she, she is more powerful than anything else that anybody could create because she is the life force itself. So, you know, ultimately, um, she, she will, she will come back into balance, but, mm. um, but that's why I feel like witches are really coming into being more than ever right now is because, um, they are, you know, lovers and champions of the goddess. And so, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're like the spirit of witchcraft is the spirit of nature mm-hmm. and it's rising up to defend what it loves and what it holds sacred. And so all of us who are witches are, are her lover, her guardian. You know, I also, sorry, last thing I'll say about this, but, um, you know, she manifests in many forms. So it's, it's not like just a goddess, for instance, the green man or, you know, the, the, the Kernanos is like the horned god. Um, you know, there are also like, you know, Hermes, Mercury is uh, like a two-spirit god or like a, you know, is a, um, a non-binary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are many different, she has many different um, facets. Yes. And in paganism, the idea is that, um you can't really just have one because it's a, it's a circle. It's a, it's an ecosystem. It's mm-hmm. not a monoculture. So in order for life to thrive, there has to be many different collaborations taking place. And it's in fact, that totality of collaboration that is itself the goddess mm. or whatever we want to call it. Absolutely. I, I love turning to the hermetic principles as like a foundation for a lot of these spiritual uh, spiritual thoughts that are very big, you know, and the, the gender is in everything. And um, this cyclical nature is just very profound. And I was raised Jewish and I always um, was so curious about Kabbalah. And I even did the whole confirmation thing because I thought hanging out with the rabbi would mean I'd finally be able to get some of my questions answered. Um, No, they don't teach Kabbalah to (laughs) 15-year-olds. But I did find this book and um, as silly as it was, this powerful um, thing that resonated with me as like a young Jewish witch (laughs) was that, you know, on the first day God created 
there was, there was darkness and then there was light. And so that balance of light and darkness was really powerful for me, which is representative of the duality within us all, whether that's gender, whether that is the cycles of the seasons, it's just something really, um, profound and so simple at the same time. Um, so of course we are the sex magic podcast and you kind of touched upon maybe some sex magic in your spiritual world. I'm curious, um, what is your relationship to sex magic and is it something you practice? Yeah, well, so, um, you know, I think the most standard way of practicing sex magic is often like with sigil magic where you, you know, create a sigil and then you charge it um, during the moment of orgasm. Um, So that's definitely something that I do and have done. Um, I think my practice more now, though, is really um, about developing that erotic relationship with nature and um I do a lot of rites alone in nature um at kind of like dates <laughs> <laughs> where I go and just um uh spend time with her mm. and doing all the things that one would do on a date <laughs> um <laughs> just together and uh, for me that is uh like sex magic and and it's one of the ways that it's magic is that um the more time that you spend in her current, the more time that you bathe in her light, uh, the more powerful you become Mm -hmm. and the more courageous you become and uh, the more clear you become and also the more you come to love yourself as well because, um, you know, the goddess loves you and welcomes you and is turned on by you and sees all the magnificent things about you. And uh, so love with her is healing you know love with her is powerful and uh strengthening vivifying this conversation really is so expansive like there are many different ways to do sex magic and approaches to having um sacred sexuality in your life so you know having these these dates with the earth with beloved goddess that is sex magic a hundred percent yeah I mean I I really try and notice when I find something beautiful or when I feel like I really see her presence in something and then I say victory to the goddess (laughs) victory to the goddess yeah (laughs) I love that (laughs) it's like a little cheers I think that might actually be like a tantric practice as well um Mm -hmm. I I for a long time, I was I was studying Tantra. I'm not a teacher, really. I mean, like, I'm just really the basic Muslim 101 student. But um, but I think, uh, you know, Tantra and witchcraft share a lot of um, similarities in that Tantra is about, um, also about experiencing that erotic pulse of life through everything, um, that, that, that energy, that sexual energy or that erotic energy. And uh, I do think it might be a tantric practice to um, to honor the the erotic and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I do think that uh, you know many traditions like share share that uh, practice. Although I will say, you know, it is very uh, it goes back deep into my lineage. Um, 
of you know northern european uh folk practices to like have sex in fields <laughs> since back in uh back in you know pagan times um mm. you know having having sex or erotic experiences in the wilds as a way of like fertilizing mm. the fields or or um kind of like charging nature with its power mm. uh that is something that that kind of erotic natural relationship is is something that it is like thousands of years old in in my genetic lineage mm, that's beautiful um what is your lineage yeah well so genetically i'm uh celtic so irish scottish german mm-hmm. And Germanic, and uh, like uh, quite a lot of Norwegian and northern, broadly northern European. Um, so yeah, Celtics and mm-hmm. and Germanic, uh, Nordic, um, pretty much exclusively. But you know, my family has been ca- in California for over seven generations, and oh, wow. um, has also been in the United States for a really long time. So um, I think the 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 folk practices of my people quote unquote mm-hmm. have been very much informed by you know christianity capitalism colonialism imperialism mm-hmm. and um you know like even like it's been like 1500 years in in england for instance since um you know paganism was at its you know most powerful and there was like a a thousands of years of systemic um you know disruption to those practices mm-hmm. in which you know the 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 people of the land the people's connection to the land was was uh, destabilized and destroyed and you know that the lands were enclosed and then the people were traumatized and then they you know visited that trauma exponentially on you know specifically black and brown people throughout the world so um So there's a lot of healing still to be done um in my own lineage and practices and um a lot of reclaiming and a lot of finding new ways as well because magic is always um specific to the time and place in which it's produced and practiced. So the magic of, you know, California in 2021, the magic of Los Angeles, the magic of Highland Park even is going to be obviously very different than the magic of the Scottish Highlands in like the year 500. Absolutely. Yeah, I love um just being able to be sensitive to the times and like allowing ourselves to have this um practice take on new forms and to adapt to what this current moment needs and what we need in this moment and while honoring the past and reclaiming and healing um to to kind of live with a foot in both worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um I can't believe we've had our conversation going for like about an hour already. I know, it's gone <laughs> really fast. Um so I guess um, we do have one final question we ask all of our guests, but before we we go into that space, is there any other things you'd like to share about um you know, tarot or your practice or anything in this conversation that you feel needs to be expressed um i mean there's always a million more things that i could say about tarot or magic or witchcraft <laughs> but that if people want to find out more about my practice or um follow me they can come find me at um 
Oracle of LA on Instagram, or they could read my book, Initiated Memoir of a Witch, which is available at all bookstores. And uh, they could listen to my podcast, Between the Worlds, or um, find me on Facebook at Amanda Yates Garcia. (laughs) Yes, everyone, definitely please check out her podcast and, oh my gosh, the book, all of the things. And now our final question. Um, If you could give your younger self one piece of advice about sexuality, spirituality, the intersection of the two, what would it be? Ooh, that's a great question. If I could give my younger self one piece of advice, it would be to pay attention to the way that she feels Mm. and to believe it. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, like, I think when I was younger, if I was in a relationship or a situation that didn't feel good to me, I would often feel like I had done something to bring that on myself. Mm. Um, or I would, I would go to the same person who is actually inspiring that feeling to try and get rid of that feeling. Mm. Um, but I think that I... I now want my younger self to know that um, life gets so much better when you don't abandon yourself. Like when you notice how you're feeling, like if you're feeling sad or if you're feeling scared, um, to come to yourself and, and listen to yourself and say, I love you. What do you need in this moment to be the lover, to be that lover to yourself? Um, to be like, okay, you're feeling, I can see you're feeling really vulnerable right now. What do you need to be safe? Rather than asking the person who's making you feel unsafe Mm. to do that for you. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, um, that like, if you're feeling unsafe in a relationship, that that the other person is doing something. Because often, you, you know, like I had a whole, I brought a lot of baggage with me into my relationships around that kind of stuff, but sometimes it does. And so, you know, the more you can get in touch with how you're feeling and to be able to like really be there with yourself in it and know what feels good to you and know what feels sexy to you, know what feels like too much for you and um, really take care of yourself around all of that, the more intimate and the more hot your sex life will become and the more capable you'll be of relating, the the more you'll call into your life people who celebrate and support that in you. So that I think I would tell her that. Stay with yourself. Don't abandon yourself. Thank you. I need to hear that too. I'm sure a lot of our listeners did as well. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and for sharing your magic. Tosca, it's been a really (laughs) pleasure. Thank you so much for creating this beautiful podcast and for all the magnificent things you do in the world. (laughs) Thank you. The Sex Magic Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a collective, a community, a conversation. If what we do here resonates with you, I'd like to invite you to join us on Patreon. 
but what even is Patreon? It's an online platform where you can directly support artists and creators. In exchange, you receive exclusive benefits. It's a direct form of energetic exchange. If you'd like to join us on Patreon, we have some incredible monthly benefits, such as live Q&As where you can ask us questions every month and tune in to get them all answered. We also have an incredible Discord community where you can connect with other people around the world and talk about things within the realm of sexuality and spirituality, along with monthly resources, rituals, tarot insight, and crystal guides to help further your spiritual path. So if you'd like to support us and show us how much you appreciate the work that we do with the Sex Magic Podcast, I invite you to check out our Patreon. We have the link down in the show notes, but you can also go on patreon.com slash sexmagicpodcast.